When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone. Just before we get started, one apology and one thank you. Firstly, apology. The sound quality on my microphone for the first 15 minutes, quarter of an hour or so of this episode is, is just a bit worse than normal. And then it goes back to normal halfway through. Um, I won't bore you with the details of why. It's a little frustrating uh, for both me and you, but I don't think it sounds too bad. Uh, hopefully not. And it's only for a few minutes. Um, but the thank you to those of you who left us reviews on Apple Podcasts. You've all been so kind and it does make me and Jack's week when, when we get to read them. So thank you to Mr. Volley King from Vancouver, Reggie and Big Nice from Britain, Aimer from the US, Day from Ireland and others who have usernames I, I can't pronounce or read out or too much of a mouthful from Norway, the USA, Britain and Australia and elsewhere. Thank you to all of you. Much appreciated and enjoy the show. Wonderful finish. Fabulous free kick. He's done it again. Welcome back to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast where we spend a section of our week hailing praise upon an 18-year-old kid who's only just left school. Mason Greenwood scores a double for Manchester United. He is an incredible talent. We spoke about him last week. We have to speak about him again this week, but it's another fantastic victory for Oligan Solskjaer's Manchester United side. A 5-2 win against Bournemouth. United are good to watch. Maybe it will all come crashing down in the next few weeks, but right now it's, it just is a, a really fun team to watch. So thank you, Oligan Solskjaer, and thank you, Bruno Fernandes. Jack, we will come on to Mason Greenwood in particular and we will talk about some other players specifically as well but the first point is that United I think partly because of Mason Greenwood have a very nicely balanced front line with equal threats from either side and a variety of threats too and, and behind them is a, a settled supply line of Matic, Fernandes and Pogba all playing at their best. Ab- absolutely the United front line hasn't looked this balanced and this threatening for a very very long time you know, you think about it for nearly a decade now, we've been searching for a front line that can provide threat from both wings and down the middle. You know, even in our title winning seasons in, what was it, 2011, 2013, you know, we had some good teams that we were never truly balanced going forward. You know, 2013, sure, we had Van Persie, you know, scoring a boatload of goals. We had Nani providing service on one side. Yeah. But on the other side, we didn't really have anyone that great playing out, out there. Then, you know, on so many occasions since then, we've made signings that on paper look like they give us a potent attack. 
how many times have we seen various Twitter headers of Man United's four <laughs> or five forward players that we've just signed, yeah. thinking that they'll be the next big thing? Think back to Falcao, Di Maria, Van Persie, Rooney in 2014 under Van Gaal, and it just didn't pan out. They haven't materialised. But this front three, even though it is early days, obviously, and we have to remember that, seem to be the most balanced and the most threatening that we've had in a long time. Yeah, and and, and the best thing I think about this is that I think it was uh, the 29th or 30th of June when Solskjaer warned this front line that their positions in the starting eleven are not guaranteed, were not guaranteed and still are not. And his quote or, or section of it was, if you, if you think you've got a divine right to be playing every game and doing so well that we're not going to look for other players to replace you, you're in the wrong place. And then he referenced himself as a striker with, with Teddy showing and being side, Dwight York, Ruud van Nistelrooy, Wayne Rooney. And I think the, the the great thing about this is that, is that they've answered him perfectly against Brighton and then against um, Bournemouth as well. Now, as you say, it's early days. And I think I think more and more in the last few months, we've used the word caveat yeah. to talk about uh, to talk about Manchester United in, in various ways, about the midfield, about the forward line, about beating teams like Brighton and Bournemouth, who have generally been pretty rubbish. Sheffield United were poor against us. So th- there are... All these caveats, and I hope that uh, I hope that 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 we can kind of put them to the side and discuss this without having to reference them every every minute, because that would be a, a pain. But this front three have this front three have have answered him perfectly. Now, how does it compare to to the other front threes? Well, as you say, it is more balanced than anything we've had recently, and obviously there is a long way to go to compare them to to Rooney, Ronaldo, Tevez, etc. But it is very impressive. Martial and Rashford both hit 20 goals at the weekend. Mason Greenwood is on 15, I think. And between them, they've already scored 38 goals in the league. That's the 13th best of any attacking trio in United's Premier League history, better than Martial, Rashford, Lukaku in their season. I'm thinking about how few games they've actually started together for yeah. most of the season too. Yeah, and better than anything that Ibrahimovic was involved in. Um, now, they've got 38. Rooney, Ronaldo, Tevez got 57. So there, there is a long way to go. Um, an extra 20 goals a season to find to even compare to something that brilliant but there's a few games left five games left in the league and they could get up to 42 43 goals between them for the for the league season that is really impressive numbers oh it's seriously impressive numbers yeah I mean talking about comparing them to other United front threes it's so difficult at the moment because this is still a relatively young partnership you know even though they've been on the pitch at times before this restart the the last four games is the first time they've had a prolonged stretch of all starting together in the league or in any competition, really. Um, yeah. But you'd say that what made some of those other partnerships so great wasn't just the weight of goals that they scored. It was the partnerships that were formed between each of the players. You know, Especially, I think, when you think of, at least in, in modern times, mm. United's most famous front three that you mentioned there, Rooney, Ronaldo and Tevez. What made those three so good wasn't just that each of them contributed you know, 20 goals or 40 goals in Ronaldo's case or whatever. It was also that between them, just some of the interplay was fantastic. It was the, almost like they had a mind meld between them all at times, especially Rooney and Ronaldo for a few seasons, even before Tevez arrived as well. You know, yeah. that, the partnership, the combination play that they provided us was sublime at times. And so I think that is one area that this front yeah. three definitely needs to improve on to be sort of held up to that kind of standard, because that is obviously, you know, almost like the highest standard you could get at Manchester United. But the signs at the moment that there's no reason why they can't aspire to that. And I don't think there is any reason to believe that they couldn't potentially go on and reach those standards. I mean, I, I guess partly as well, why we haven't seen this front three start to create this kind of combination between themselves 
has been down to the quality of the supply from Bruno and Pogba and Matic in midfield because it's almost taking away a need for them yeah. to link up between themselves because as soon as they receive the ball from whoever, whichever one of those three midfielders it is, they're through on goal at times. Yeah, yeah it's, it, it's definitely true. And, and I mean, it, it's, it's so obvious, isn't it? A good midfield makes the rest of the team look much better. And, and that, is, that is the way things are working. And if yeah. Mason Greenwood hits 20, he only needs five more um, in, in these final few games of the season. He should be getting it when you think how many league. There's five league games left, plus the Europa League and FA Cup. If he gets 20, it'll be the first time that three United players have all reached 20 goals in a season since 1964-65, um, wow. when Dennis Law, David Hurd and John Connolly got uh, 20 goals each. John Connolly actually is the the only man to score for Manchester United in June before this season, which would have been a very useful fact for uh, that, yeah, that I did know a for, for a pub quiz. And unfortunately, yeah, unfortunately has now been ruined by how many <laughs> United players have scored in June. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Mason Greenwood, let's move on to, to him specifically. He is just He's brilliant. Listen to the uh, listen to the Bournemouth defenders as Mason Greenwood looks to find space to shoot to score. So we've said it a lot before. Greenwood has, I mean, so many qualities: two-footed, agile, good balance, very powerful shot, and and, and great decision making. I think what's interesting to to discuss is what has he got to improve, and and what have we not seen from him yet? Because. At academy level, he, he did show a lot more. Um, I'll answer that second question while while Jack tries to think of a of a weakness to to Greenwich you game. You stiffed me giving it giving me the weakness question there. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm leaving that one to you. Um, it's it's a hard one to ask. But in terms of what we what we haven't yet seen from Greenwood that we kind of know he can do. Well, first of all, he is scoring at at quite ridiculous rate. Um, for for any statistic lovers, Greenwood's xG, his expected goals, which for those who who don't know is a, a stat that works out the chance of a player of scoring from a certain chance based on their position on the pitch, the angle they're shooting from, whether they shoot with their head or their foot, lots of these things. Greenwood has an expected goals in the Premier League of 2.4, but he scored eight goals. So he's completely outperforming that. He's had 31 shots in the league. So his goal scored compared to his expected goals is actually the best in the league. And he's a stupidly good finisher because of a few things. We've seen the power in his shots, the fact that he's as good with his left as his right. Um, He scored with both on Saturday against Bournemouth in that double. The speed at which he takes his shots, as in taking them a moment before the the goalkeeper is ready, the space he finds either in or on the edge of the box, and the fact that he can can find the corners in a similar way to to Harry Kane at Spurs. So he's accurate and powerful. But um, what haven't we seen from you yet? Well, if you watch Greenwood at youth levels, well, we haven't seen him play as a centre-forward, really. We... I think we saw him maybe a couple of times in the Europa League, but not not in the Premier League. That's certainly one thing. And so we probably haven't seen how good his movement can be at this level because normally he's getting the ball on the wing rather than moving and waiting for it in the box. And we also haven't actually seen his right foot that much. His, his second goal against Bournemouth was his first league goal scored with his right foot. And he scored he scored loads with his right in, in the under-18s and under-23. So expect more of them. Especially he, didn't, he, didn't he take a penalty with his right foot as well early yeah. on in the season? I, I'm pretty sure I remember him stepping up and taking a penalty with his right yeah, foot. That, was it in, the, in the Europa League? Uh, it might have been the Europa League, but also he didn't, I think he took the, the, the sixth goal against Tranmere in the FA Cup. Was a, I'm fairly sure it was a Mason Greenwood penalty. That was the one, yeah, that, that's the one I'm thinking yeah, of. That's yeah, the so the reason about. he scores, the, well, he does score them, but the reason he takes penalties with his right for is because I think it in an under 13s Manchester derby, so an under 13s game against City, 
he took one with his left. He, he is left-footed. Um, so he takes him with a stronger foot, missed it, and from then on has, has taken him with his right because he, he trusted more to take penalties, which shows just how... I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> to, to, to be able to take penalties with, with both feet and, and have the confidence to take your penalties as, as a professional footballer with your weaker foot is mad. So yeah, expect more goals with his right it, foot. It especially feels like the, the, those like people you had at school where they, they were like, "Oh, I can use both hands." Yeah, you'd, you'd be like, "Oh, write your name with your right and left hand." Yeah, yeah. It's honestly it feels like something. It's almost like a party trick. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and and and, and two footed players are just they're not just great fun to watch as strikers. They're great fun to watch anywhere. I remember the one Arsenal player of of kind of the previous generation, if you like, that I did like was Santi Cazorla just because he he was good to watch because he he played with both feet. Um, yeah, and and yeah, agreement got that and it is slightly different to, to Casola obviously very different positions and very different styles of play but yeah expect more with, with Greenwood's right foot especially if he starts drifting in centrally more which is basically what he did for that second goal um, and we also I think the other thing is we haven't seen him go on go on that many runs he scored for example against Brighton he scored by taking on a defender in the box but at youth level he'd often pick up the ball from a deep area like within his own half and just run with it and, and charge forward down the wing before a goal or an assist or, or whatever or, or a pass and we have seen it a bit but I think there's a lot more to come in this regard oh, oh yeah and, uh, and, and free kicks he, he's very good at them as well and takes them with both his, his right foot and his left foot which again is is completely ridiculous so th- there are some other things but I think that's a good idea of what more is to come from Greenwood Jack based on, on that and what we've seen from from Mason in the first team um, and, and this is a hard question to answer so I, um, I apologise for throwing this on to you but <laughs> what, are you, what are you still waiting to see from him and, and what can he improve or I, I just because I think that's the thing that's not spoken about we all know that Mason Greenwood is, is absolutely I mean yeah speechless at his quality um, but yeah what, what's the thing that you're wanting to see from him now as well as all this that we've already seen it's a tough question I think as well as, as, you, as I was thinking about this as you were speaking I think one thing that went through my mind is that what has been so impressive about Greenwood hasn't just been, you know, the amount of goals that he scored, is that he has actually shown a, a pretty well-rounded game, which is very rare for someone yeah. so young. Often they come in, you know, you think of, say, Cristiano Ronaldo at this age, not that I'm comparing Greenwood to Ronaldo at all, but you think of Ronaldo when he first came to United, he was all flick, it was all flicks and tricks and pace, but so much of his game hadn't been refined yet. And he, then it sort of when he rounded out his game and future years that's when he became such a great player with Greenwood he is yeah. so well-rounded I think for me the one thing that he could work on a little bit more is is de- developing his, his ability to create for others especially when he's playing as a winger you know his responsibilities aren't just limited to scoring goals himself he also needs to be able to provide for the others around him you know I talked before about the partnership with Rashford and Martial needing developing I think that part of his game hasn't really shown up so much in the first team. He's been so good at scoring goals and getting himself into scoring positions. Yeah. It almost feels wrong and wrong and overly harsh to say he needs he also needs to be providing assists, but ultimately that is what makes a great winger if that is where he's going to be playing for the foreseeable future, which it seems at least probably for the next year or two he probably will be playing. Yeah. And you know, he proved in the youth team before that he can be a very creative player and while he's playing out wide, I think he will need to just develop that side of his game a little bit more. And to be fair, he hasn't really had much need to do that recently as I, because the service has been so good, like I said before. And I think so often he has been picking up the ball in, in spaces that have been scoring opportunities. I and mean, he proved against Brighton with the, the brilliant ball into Bruno Fernandes for the third goal that he can be a very creative player and provide that service for others. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I think that is, if I'm being harsh, is probably the one area that I'd like to see him do a little bit more. Yeah, 
and, and we are we are being deliberately harsh because it's it's just a, a different angle at going it because as I say, everyone knows that the green is good. And and interestingly, the thing um, I thought I think this was in yeah it was in the Athletic. A really interesting interview with Warren Joyce, who uh, was United's under 23s manager and, and before that under 21s and, and reserves manager, and and did that job alongside Solskjaer in uh, 2008 2007 kind of period when Solskjaer was about to retire and then had retired and, and coached United's reserve team. Um, and Joyce said that when Solskjaer was in that role, he'd go across to the first team training pitch and teach Wayne Rooney how to shoot through defenders' legs. Now, we've all seen Solskjaer score, score those goals. Um, if you, I actually watched the other day um, every single one of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's goals for Manchester United, uh, which was on YouTube somewhere and was a, a, a very enjoyable watch. And you remember just... I mean, I mean, he was he was a ridiculously good striker and such a good finisher. But um, he always shot through players' legs because the goalkeeper can't see where you're shooting from, where the ball's going. So it obviously has it has its benefits. And Solskjaer has, has has been teaching Mason Green with this as well. And I think it was against Everton, December the fifteenth. I think the the Everton game we we drew. 1-1 at home Mason Greenwood scored through through the players legs and I, I think we'll see more of that but it's interesting because it, there's, there's always this conversation about whether people who haven't been elite players can become football managers and obviously they can and 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 they can be just as good as as a, a manager who has played and it is it's obviously not the deciding factor but what you do get from managers who have been players is Solskjaer teaching these very specific things and it's a kind of skill or ability that could get Mason Greenwood and Manchester United an extra two or three or four goals a season. And that's one of the the big benefits of, of having Solskjaer bringing through Rashford, Martial and Greenwood. It, it, you get that very specific, brilliant, world-class training. Oh, yeah. And, and that is the benefit of, of having Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and having, in general, even without sort of just limiting it to Solskjaer, having very successful players as, as coaches. You know, it's it's definitely not necessarily that all good players become good coaches or that all good coaches have to have been formerly good players. But I do think that it helps to, to some degree, especially with players in certain positions. You know, you think about, say, if you're a, a midfielder at Manchester City, you know, Pep Guardiola being able to have first-hand experiences of what worked for him, what didn't work for him as a player. I think that makes that makes a big difference. When working with exact position groups, in Solskjaer's case, you know, obviously being able to impart that kind of advice on Greenwood, Martial, Rashford, in the way that he used to go about his business when he was a striker, it, it does make a big difference, I think. And it helps him be able to build that rapport with the players and work one-on-one with them. You know, obviously you have sort of assistant coaches like Kieran McKenna, Michael Carrick, who can obviously come in and, and do some of that individual work too. But Solskjaer, I think, obviously, as saying this as someone who doesn't have any access to the training ground or anything, but Solskjaer feels like a very hands-on coach. He feels like a coach who wants to be very hands-on with his players and be very involved with sort of the details, the minutiae of, of their training. And I think the fact that he has that experience of being a player and being a player at Manchester United, it, it allows him to be able to, to offer that advice in a much better way than he otherwise would. Yeah, definitely. And I think it, it's also telling. I mean, I'd say I'm, I'm quite glad that a lot of the talk about Solskjaer in or Solskjaer out has kind of gone out the window. And, I, you know, it's just the atmosphere around the club feels so much more settled and so much more positive than it has in such a long time. And I'm not really interested in getting into a debate over whether, you know, this is down to Solskjaer or not, because I, you know, I don't think it really, it really matters at, at the moment to, to United. You know, we have 
these players playing in the right way and we should try and maintain that any way that we can. Yeah, and it, it, it is a nice thing to have and, and it's a great feeling to be able to watch Manchester United while relaxing, which is, is not something we've been able to do for uh, for a long time. And it was great to see Marcus Rashford score again. He, he definitely needed that, didn't he? Oh, I needed that 100%. You know, and it was... It was actually great, I think, of, of Bruno Fernandes as well to you know allow Rashford to take the penalty. You saw Rashford go up to him and ask after the penalty was awarded. And it, it's good on Rashford too because it takes a lot to, to kind of be that self-aware and realise that you need a goal for your confidence and to yeah. ask a player who's been playing so well and Bruno Fernandes to kind of hand you that penalty. And he did need it. And he obviously then had a goal disallowed later on in the game, which I think would have been a massive boost for him. But I thought this was a better performance from Rashford. It still wasn't it still wasn't great, but I thought he was much more involved in the game and he looked a little bit more lively and confident when he was on the ball. He looked a bit more willing to take players on yeah. and sort of drive us forward, which was such a huge difference that I've seen with him since the restart is that he seems a lot less willing to kind of take players on and a lot less willing to take risks. And I think that's what I want to see from Rashford. And it, there were just glimpses, small glimpses. It still wasn't great but small glimpses that that might be starting to come back. Yeah, to be fair, I've I've not felt that he's he's been playing particularly badly. It's just that it's a it's it's a kind of different Marcus Rashford than the one we've seen before. And I think I think it was Alex Young who tweeted us during the week because we mentioned this briefly last week who said it, it, it's, it's possible that Solskjaer's telling him to do this and, and yeah it definitely is and and it probably is to be honest because Rashford's natural game before was to take people on and at the moment he's just being a bit hesitant in that and he's he's contributing a lot to the team he scored with a penalty scored an offside goal but also he, he is cre- creating a lot and he's United's best option in that position and, and he's he is contributing a lot so it's not that he's playing badly it's just it is definitely a different Marcus Rashford to the one we're used to seeing right we've got a few questions this week um, we're going to answer two of them at the back end of the show mainly about Nemanja Matic's new contract so that will be after the youth roundup and our preview of the next game against Aston Villa but um, the first one it comes from Avik Sina who says while Sancho seems the focus of all transfer talks do you think we need a centre-back more than Jadon Sancho given the two goals um, one we conceded against Spurs which was terrible and, and the first goal we conceded against Bournemouth where Maguire was embarrassed um, he says do, do we need a centre-back more in order to win trophies because we will need a stronger defence that does not concede soft goals which basically ties into something we were probably going to talk about anyway which is who's the priority for United to sign right now a right winger a centre-back or, or a centre-midfielder obviously the, the, the ideal would be you sign all three of those positions if, if you could only sign one or if you could dedicate a large majority of your transfer budget to one of those positions, Jack, who would it be? A few weeks ago, I probably would have said right wing because it seemed like we we tried for so long to fix that position. Yeah. And I still think that Jadon Sancho should be quite a high priority because as you know, teams like Manchester City have proven having too many good players is not a bad thing. But I think as of right now, you'd have to say that centre-back is the priority We've yeah. seen even in this good run of form that we are susceptible at the back. You know, every, in almost every single game, probably except the Sheffield United game, since we've come back from the restart, there have been moments when we've looked susceptible at the back. You think of Bergwijn's goal in the Spurs game, Harry Maguire getting, you know, skinned, and then Lindelof not being close enough to Maguire to be able to get across. Mm. And the, even in the Brighton game, at the, right at the start of the second half, before we scored the third goal, and at times after that too we looked shaky at the back and De Gea had to bail us out a few yeah. times against Bournemouth obviously you had Maguire getting skinned again <laughs> for Stanislas's goal and then again Bailly with making I mean it was partly Matic's mistake too to be fair but he should have been just been letting that yeah. go for a corner 
and we looked shaky at times, even even before that penalty decision in the second half. You know, Bournemouth hit the post. We made some sloppy errors in defence. It hasn't been perfect at all. So I, I definitely would say a centre back who could come in and along probably alongside Harry Maguire give us a really really solid back yeah. line. Yeah, I think to be fair. I think in January the the plan was definitely even as as far back as as the start of the season. I think there was a plan to to play Axel Twenza be quite a lot, and I think if we'd seen him have an injury free season and, and play most of the season, it, it's hard to say obviously because he he's never really had an extended spell in the United first team. But he's always been a, a very good talent. He did well at Aston Villa. He's looked good when he's when he's played in the United first team. And I think the expectation was kind of that United would get to the end of this season and be able to know whether Axel Twentebe was going to be a starting centre-back or not, um, whether he could replace Victor Lindelof and or Eric Bailly in that front, in that defensive line and, and, and partner Harry Maguire. Unfortunately, because of injuries, we've never really got to know that, which is a shame for United and Axel Twentebe because if we knew that, then potentially, small chance, because it, it, it's unlikely... Yeah, I guess it's unlikely that you're going to generate a world class defender from your from your academy, but it is possible. So it's it's bad for Twanza because he's not got that chance. It's bad for United because they maybe might have saved themselves fifty, sixty million. Yeah, I was I was literally just talking talking to someone about this the other day, and that Twanzebi would be honestly probably the one at the moment that I would have the most faith in to have, to be that long term solution. Yeah. We just haven't seen him enough, and because we've seen him so little, it it's just irresponsible to plan on him being yeah. that that long-term first-choice centre-back. Yeah, and it, yeah, I, I, you're right. United cannot go into the next season thinking, well, we've got Axel Twanzebis, so he'll be the one for us if, if Victor Lindelof's not good enough, if Eric Bight's not good enough, because he's had problems with injuries already this season. Um, he wasn't particularly injury-prone as, as an academy player, but that doesn't mean he's not now. Um, so yeah, United can't do that. It basically means they do have to go out and sign a centre-back if they want to improve the defence, which they should be wanting to do because it, it isn't good enough. So uh, what's the priority? United should be signing a right winger and a, and a, a centre-back. Having said that, maybe United will look at, at what Mason Greenwood's doing and this would fit in with with what United think and, and how they try to save money and think, well, we've got a front three, maybe we should sign a good backup instead of someone who's going to start ahead of Mason Greenwood. I think that would be the wrong decision because having only three really good attackers is, is not enough. United should have five or six of those so that the the, the backup in the squad is is almost as good as, as a starting lineup. So yeah, I think United should be signing both, but I think that the centre back the the need for centre back has become more clear in recent weeks. We'll answer some more questions after this section, um, mainly on the Matic. And yeah, let's move on to our, our, our youth and loan roundup. Not much on, on the loan front or but there is something on um on the women's side. Casey Stoney has been nominated for manager of the season in the women's super league. It was a public vote, but that vote has now closed. We'll find the results out soon and we'll tell you on the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Um, Hannibal Medjbury, United 17-year-old French midfielder, has donated a, a signed shirt to a charity raffle run by the Manchester United Supporters Club in France. This is part of a, a really good initiative launched by the Manchester United Foundation, who are donating up to £240,000 to supporters clubs across the world to support child-focused charities during uh, the coronavirus pandemic. So they're giving £500 straight away to the supporters clubs, and then the United Foundation will match up to another five. £500 that the supporters clubs raise. So the United Supporters Club in France has raised about 
£200 so far. So in total, they'll be giving around a grand and a half to Petite Bus, which improved the day-to-day life of struggling kids in France. Um, This is a really good initiative. The thing I love about it is that it offers a chance for the United Foundation to support local-led projects outside of Manchester. So there's no need to always centralise. Instead, they've given local people with local knowledge the opportunity to to support these projects. So good move from United and, and well done to Hannibal Medjbury for supporting this as well. Staying in France, United are interested in signing Sochaux's under-16 defender, Willy Camboala. He's a France under-16 international and both United and Liverpool are interested in signing him, according to L'Equipe. He grew up in the Parisian suburbs after... Uh, immigrating from Congo and he played for the same youth team as Anthony Martial and Patrice Evra. So coming from a, a good line of French Manchester United players there, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that one and, and keep you updated. Right, next match for United is on Thursday against Aston Villa. Last time we played Villa was a very frustrating match, uh, 2-2 at the start of December. But after that game came came that great week where you beat Mourinho, Spurs, beat City and thrashed Azed Alkmaar. United should be winning this comfortably. But as Solskjaer said, these are the kind of games we've struggled with and we still could struggle with. And you saw the signs of that against Bournemouth, but then United managed to quickly get a hold of the game and really dominate in the second half. You've got to hope we won't see any signs of that against Aston Villa. Uh, yeah, I mean, we talked about this last week and we, you know, we said that Bournemouth might be the banana skin to slip up on. I think we could probably just repeat that cycle every single week of saying, will this be the week we trip up? Because we don't have any particularly difficult games, uh, you know, from yeah. now really until the final day against Leicester. But each one yeah. of those games is, you know, any one of them could be the game that kind of turns this tide of good form on its head. And if, with fingers crossed, it doesn't. I mean, all the signs at the moment, you'd have to say point towards United winning. I think, you know, I, yeah. I'm almost hesitant to say that because I don't, I don't want to be a... Uh, be jinxing anything but we are playing very well <laughs> Aston Villa don't look particularly good and haven't been great since the restart I think you know we ultimately have to be going into this game as not only heavy favourites but very very confident as well we I think what's yeah. nice about this United team at the moment is that even if we were to concede one or two goals as we did against Bournemouth I have faith that we will end up outscoring the opponents yeah I think that's that was the uh... That was probably one of the key takeaways that we didn't mention earlier from the Bournemouth game is that we were defensively vulnerable, but the attack was so good that that didn't matter. Um, and, and we missed a couple of chances as well. We had one ruled out for offside. And yeah. and yeah, United looked like a team that can score five now. And we have scored five a lot of times recently. I think it's four times in the last 16 games. We hadn't scored five for years before this run and that's that's one of the great things it, it just is nice to watch Manchester United now as as we said before and to show as well how firstly how inconsistent we've been in the past year or so and how different this run is to others <laughs> I think this is the first time we've won three Premier League games in a row I think this is before the Bournemouth game three in a row since the start of Solskjaer's reign as United manager so back in like February 28-19 yeah and it's, it's unchanged starting lineup after unchanged starting lineup, which is I think it was the first time yeah. that we named three lineups the same in the row in the league since November 2006 or something which is which is ridiculous um yeah. and it, well I mean remember when Van Gaal yeah. went like five months without like, naming an unchanged yeah. team yeah uh, that, that summed up the, the Van Gaal and Mourinho teams um now yeah. obviously we, we're, we're gonna have to rotate at some point how how do you rotate without affecting the balance of this team? Can we take, we're going to answer some questions on Matic's contract in a, in just a second, but can you take Matic out and this team still be playing at the same level? It's a really tough one because I think Matic's role in this has been so under-publicised. He's not getting the attention that I think his performances deserve. I think you'd have to go yes, 
purely because of how good the front five have been and that we can probably rest Matic, I think. And you, you'd hope that even if we lost something defensively or, or maybe lost something in the start of our attacks, yeah. the front five would be good enough to make up for it. But at the same time, you know, Matic's role has been huge. And, and not only defensively, but what he's been yeah. very, very good at is starting those attacks and getting the ball forward into the front five very, very quickly. And it's just, you wonder whether Fred or McTominay would do that. I think probably McTominay does deserve a chance you know he he was playing very very well before the rec- before the the break and has done nothing wrong really to yeah. to warrant him losing his place i th- i think of 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 our other midfielders, he'd be the one that I'd want to see coming in for Matic. Well, the, the, this is a strange thing, is that Fred and McTominay were playing so well and they're just, they're not even part of the discussion really anymore and they both do deserve a chance. So you yeah. you, you yeah. hope that in the, in the next two or three games, one of them, uh, and you'd think it would probably McTominay if, if he's going to take Matic out on Thursday, you'd hope that they both get a chance because they, they do deserve it and it, it's just that Matic has come back and United have been so settled and so good. So you understand why they haven't been given that chance, but you hope it's, it's a perfect situation to be in at the moment. Right, um, we've got uh, one question on Matic's contract from Andrew Hinton who said opinions on it. Now, I think, well, for me, three years is, is it's the right decision to extend his contract. Why they've given him three years until June 2023, to me, seems... Uh, seems an unwise decision. It seems like the the same kind of decision that leaves us having Phil Jones, uh, Marcus Rojo on these long contracts, big, big contracts uh, for too long. And it, it, it just, he's 31, he'll be 34 by the end of this contract. It's just not in keeping with, it's not in keeping with everything else we've done. When, when Matt has been given a new contract, it's been well, two years, which was too long anyway. But United's policy is generally only one year for over 30s, which was the same with, with Carrick, uh, Rooney, many, many others. Why they've broken it now, I'm not quite sure. He deserves a new contract, yes, but three years does seem odd to me. Do we know, out of interest, do we know, because um, I, I, I saw the announcement this morning, I've been looking all, all morning to try and find out what his wages are, because to me that changes partly what I think about this contract. Because So what, what I would say is, I think contracts, when the, when the wages are are at a level you'd expect. So I'm not talking about when you're overpaying players. When when the wages are what you'd expect, I don't really think contracts are any more as important as they used to be because effectively all this does is mean that we would get a transfer fee for Matic if he was to leave in, say, a year or two. And in in that sense, I don't yeah. think it's a bad deal. The The trouble becomes if we're paying him, you know, 200k a week, which I hope we're not, but wouldn't surprise me if we are because... Then it becomes a problem of okay, sure, we have him on this contract. That means that we'll probably get, get some money if we sell him. But no club would it, would want to, to both pay a uh, transfer fee and pay those wages. And obviously, Matic has no incentive to leave and take a pay cut. It's kind of a similar situation yeah. to what we've, we've we'll find ourselves in with De Gea as well. In that, even if we wanted to sell him and bring Henderson back next season, then we probably couldn't yeah. because De Gea won't leave because I doubt anyone that would buy him would be willing to pay those wages. So I think if, if Matic's wages are not too bad, in fact, let me try and see if I can find... Yeah, well, yeah, to, to me, the, the the one thing that does make sense about it is it, it's possible that United have looked at the, the midfield prospects within the academy. So James Garner, Dylan Levitt, and at a much younger level, Hannibal Medgebury, and uh, Ethan Galbraith is another one as well. It's possible they've looked at those talents and thought, we're going to wait and see if they can become first-team players. And while we're waiting, we'll keep Nemanja Matic as, as one of, as either first choice or backup to Scott McTominay or Fred or, or, or maybe they'll still bring in someone else. And it's also possible 
that they see Nemanja Matic becoming part of the coaching team in the future at United because by the time he, his, this contract ends he'll be 34 and at that point it's possible he could become a, a player coach at the club. Um, now I, d- I don't know if either of those things are, are true but it would make sense if they're looking towards someone like James Garner and thinking well we'll let him go out on loan next year we'll keep Matic for that year and then keep him to to kind of make a, a smooth transition I'm not sure that's that's the case I think it's more they wanted to keep Matic and he demanded three years because I mean if you're a player it makes sense to demand as long as possible to get yeah, that security Um so that's probably what's happened, but it, yeah, so, uh, it's yeah. Go on. So at least according to spot so to spot rack, at least um, Matic is new contract has a weekly wage of one hundred twenty thousand pounds a week, which I don't think is too terrible actually. Um, I, again, I think it, it comes down to just to me the contracts are not they don't mean what they used to mean in that you're definitely going to stay here for the length of a contract. You know, it, it's more about making sure you can get some money in, in a future transfer. Yeah, at that wage, which I don't think is is particularly unreasonable, I don't think the contract is is that bad. It does seem strange, especially since United have loved recently giving yeah. contracts with options on the end, and, and Matic's previous contract had a, an, an option at the end that we triggered. It seems strange that you wouldn't say give him a two year yeah. contract with an option for a further year, which I think would be a much better deal in United's favour. So I do think three years is a little bit too too long, but at those wages, which I think are probably about fair for the kind of player that Matic is, I don't think it's it's too yeah. much. Of um, a similar question to, to to wrap things up from Agnel J. De Cruz on Twitter as well, who says something similar to what we've been discussing, that, that Pablo and Fernandez have looked great, but the third position with either Matic, Fred or McTominay, uh, they've, they've all been playing well, but they're not necessarily world-class. So do we find someone in this transfer window or do we wait out a year to let Scott McTominay or Fred or someone in the youth team grow? Um I think from United's perspective, they may well think, let's wait it out. Let's let's sign a centre-back and a right winger. Let's not focus on the midfield yet. I think it's, it's a difficult one because if you're signing another midfielder now that Matic has extended his contract, you're in a position where you do almost need to offload one of McTominay and Fred, even though they've both been playing really well, unless you want to block the pathway for James Garner or Dylan Levitt. So it's a tricky one because if you do bring in another midfielder now that Matic is staying, then I think you've probably got a bloated midfield, which is something we've not normally said for for Manchester United. But would you agree on that? I don't know. I th- I think in in the summer, I think we we're, we're going to see that the COVID nineteen pandemic will have had a big effect on on transfer markets, not just for United but for everyone. And I, I would be very very surprised if United signed more than two frontline first team players who would be expected to come in and start. You know, I'm not talking about like Daniel James kind of signings. I'm talking about sort of. Bruno Fernandes, Harry Maguire type signings. I'd be very, very surprised if there's more than two of those in the summer. And I don't think that central midfield, especially the way we've been playing recently, is within our first two priorities. I'd, I'd agree with you that it'd be centre-back and right wing. I'm I'm conflicted about what to do in terms of the Fred McTominay conundrum, partly because I think my... If you'd asked me this a couple of years ago, I would have said, yes, definitely get rid of one of them because... <laughs> There's no point having those extra wages on there. We could be blocking a player from the youth team who, you know, realistically, at least one of them is not going to be getting a game at all times. Yeah. But I, I, there is part of me as well, though, that thinks the experience of watching Man City and under Pep Guardiola have so many world-class players in their team 
like and every week you know you have no idea anyone who plays FPL will know this the nightmare of knowing what kind of team City are going to play every week yeah you almost shy away from putting City players in your team because they could be rested at any time and it seems like they've managed to keep everything you know in really good harmony so I am I'm very conflicted honestly on what the role should be in in what the decision should be sorry in terms of whether you keep around good players because it's better to have five good players rather than four, yeah. or whether you say, well, four good players is enough, we'll offload the one and then you know get the wages off the books and make it easier for youth team players to come through. Yeah, I, I honestly don't really know. I, I think, I think honestly, the club, the, the club will probably be cautious and keep Fred and McTominay ultimately. I think that's probably the right decision for at least a year because I mean, you look, you look at our past with the midfield, and if one or Pogba or or Bruno Fernandez is injured, then we're thinking about this situation very differently. And it's easy to say now when Matic is playing well, when Bruno and Pogba are playing well, when McTominay and Fred are in good form. But if any of them drop out of form, if any of them get injured, if more than one of them get injured, then you're thinking very differently. So I think for the next year, at least you'd, you'd have a, I mean, five midfielders isn't too many, um, especially when we're often playing with with three in the starting lineup. So I, I don't think that's a problem for now, but it is, it is worth um, thinking about. Right, we should uh, wrap up there on Series 5, Episode 38 of the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you as always for listening. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Um, for more from us throughout the week, you can find Jack on Twitter at at UTDTates, T-A-I-T and you can find me on Twitter at HarryRobinson64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. that's P-O-D at the end there. Have a great week, enjoy watching United again. It is fun to do so. Goodbye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.